one of my greatest days traveling uh, Japan was going to the Toto Toilet Factory. Yeah, I know that doesn't sound pleasant. That doesn't even sound entertaining. Why would you go to the Toto Toilet Factory? Going to the toilet is going to be the future of real estate. Yes, that sounds crazy. I know. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to dig into stuff coming your way. Yes, we're going to take a look into the future. If you like the idea of stargazing and understanding some future trends, which are going to influence real estate, economics, and urbanity, then this podcast is perfect for you. You're going to have a great time. As you know, my podcast can last forever, so make sure you play the show in double speed, get your life back, spend your life uh, learning as much as you can. And of course, if you can speed me up and do me in half the time, that means you can learn some other ideas around real estate. And of course, understand that all the episodes and podcasts I've done on the Urban Property Investor are lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back to the beginning, start from the beginning if you like, binge the podcast uh, which is some crazy like 95 hours of content on real estate at this present time. So there's a lot to learn when it comes to real estate. And I think one of the greatest puzzles of property investment, one of the things that really inspires me to get out of bed every day is understanding what is coming next. I like to consider myself a bush Futurist. Yes, I have no qualifications to say I'm a futurist, but I love stargazing into the future and understanding, well, maybe if we can put two and two together, if we know what's coming down the highway, uh, we can make positive actions off the back of that. Now, uh, caveat today to the podcast, I will probably cough. Yes, if you think the idea of listening to a podcast host coughing into a microphone is abhorrent to you, then don't listen today. Move on. Go somewhere else because you're going to hate today's podcast because I'm still suffering the effects of COVID and it makes me cough and uh, it's annoying. In fact, every time I talk on the phone at the moment, I have to apologize before the conversation even starts. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're probably going to listen to me talk and I'm going to cough on you. Uh, So I apologize to you if I cough on you uh, and that offends you. But I didn't create the pandemic. Uh, So, you know, let's, uh, let's not, I guess, pick on the cougher. Now, let's get into the show, right? We've got some massive, massive trends heading our way when it comes to real estate, and uh, I want to cover off as many of them as I can, so you guys are well-placed to understand we need to perhaps just think through real estate with an open uh, lens that things are always going to change, and I think you know, when it comes to the idea of disruption, we are living in a decade where disruption is going to make or break people. There is just so much happening, isn't there? There's so many different moving parts. And I think 
our access to technology and information kind of speeds up news, if you like, and it speeds up some of the dynamics that are unfolding around the world when it comes to the improvement of property investment, the improvement of technologies. And I think really when we analyze one of the biggest trends coming our way into property investment, it is the trend of technology inside of real estate. Uh, real estate into the future is going to be very much driven by smart economics, smart technology. And I think for a lot of real estate out there that is in underperforming marketplaces, the idea of improving it with smart technology, it's just too far apart. And for me, you know, I love to invest in real estate where there's the knowledge economy, where there's the knowledge worker. And I like to buy real estate, which is more modern, which can adapt to the acceleration inside of real estate when it comes to technology. And we haven't seen anything yet. So my word of warning for property investors when it comes to future economics around technology is to brace yourself for change because we know that for example, electric cars are going to be the cars of the future. I mean, one in five cars rolling off the German production line of cars at the moment is electric. It's only going to get bigger and bigger. So, of course, this is going to have an impact on what real estate and how real estate works. We're going to have to retrofit electric car charges into homes, into apartments, into townhomes. Uh, it is going to be a real thing. And again, the consumer of tomorrow is going to be very, very different. And I think if you are holding something very old, antiquated, uh, past its use by date when it comes to property, it could come back to bite you. I mean, some of the technology which is unfolding around the world is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Now, I'm a big fan of traveling. Uh, one of my favorite countries to go to is Japan. And I've been there many, many times. And I love Japan because it's kind of like one of these countries which has never really ever been invaded to the point where the population is very self-centric. It is very unique. It's not really driven by outside culture. Uh, one of the things I love about Japan is the Toto toilet system. Anyone who's been to Japan would have ridden the Toto. It is an amazing experience when it comes to going to the bathroom. And again, some of the technology coming out of Toto is amazing. In fact, one of my greatest days traveling uh, Japan was going to the Toto Toilet Factory. Yeah, I know that doesn't sound pleasant. That doesn't even sound entertaining. Why would you go to the Toto Toilet Factory? Going to the toilet is going to be the future of real estate. Yes, that sounds crazy. I know, but uh, what is unfolding is that big data is starting to run uh, economics. Big data is starting to run technologies and gut health and so forth uh, can be studied by going to the bathroom. And into the future, and what is coming soon to real estate is the idea that you will be able to own or rent a property where your well-being can be studied through going to the bathroom. Uh, and that sounds crazy, right? But what if real estate could help you live longer 
or be fitter or be monitored in a more well-being state just by that technology, just by going to the bathroom. So some of this stuff is mind-blowing and it is coming your way when it comes to real estate. It's probably a 2030 thing, 2035 thing, but I think the most important part of buying real estate today is just making sure you've got good bones when it comes to the real estate you own. You want something that can retrofit into smart technologies that can, there's the cough. Did you hear the cough? Uh, That you can uh, start to link into what, is coming our way. So, you know, you want good plumbing, good electronics, good uh, bones of a home. You don't want wiring dating back, you know, 45, 55 years anymore because, again, some of the things that the consumers will want tomorrow around technology is game-changing to where we are. They're going to want solar. They're going to want the Toto flush system. They're going to want electric cars. They're going to want... Um, you know, smart homes, which are energy efficient. So uh, I'm buying this stuff, by the way. Uh, I'm designing a smart home right now. And it was my latest property investment. I settled in a year. I bought it pre-construction. It's already gone up. It's doing doing a thing as a property investment. But the cool thing behind the scenes is it is a smart home. It is really my first property, which is designed around smart economics. Everything with the home is sustainable and smart. And I can't wait to discuss that property once it's complete, what it's going to look like, how it delivers this technology to the consumers. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. And it is coming soon, but really it's already here. It's uh, one of the first trends I think property investors need to really switch on to. If you're going to buy like an old decrepit home, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to retrofit the Toto flush system into it, right? So we just know to be mindful that we want something a little bit more modern. It doesn't need to be brand new, but it needs to be functional. We want that functional capability when it comes to real estate. I think the next thing coming into the marketplace. The next trend, if you like, is inflation economics, right? Inflation economics is just the idea that when things cost more, people start to get more sort of jittery. Uh, And of course, you know, we have seen the idea of people becoming nomads, people leaving cities, going to live in Timbuktu. And of course, I think with inflation economics, we're going to see a bit of a reversal of that trend. I think, of course, uh, the Zoom boom, the great Zoom boom, which is unfolding, is very, very helpful to people being able to live and work in different places. But of course, I think there are some headwinds when it comes to, obviously, inflation at a global level. And I think when people start to feel uncertain about the cost of living, they tend to be a little bit more uncertain around job security. And because people start to go, well, you know, if I was to move too regional or become too nomadic and I got cut off from, uh, from economics, like, you know, will that disadvantage me? And I think what we have seen 
is a great trend in a deflationary marketplace where money is worthless to just go, I can go anywhere. Uh, will that reverse into the future if money is quite expensive to borrow? And I'm talking at a global level because some countries, you know, things are just going to be even more chaotic than here in Australia. We're kind of blessed in Australia when it comes to inflation being not as out of control as it is in certainly Europe and the USA at the moment. But I think what is interesting is inflation economics. How do people behave when their buying power is dropping, when it costs more to to run uh, their economics? What do they give up to support property prices being more expensive? What do they give up to support rent being more expensive? Uh, and of course, this is where you go back to the basics. What is, What do people need and what do people want? And I think we're going to see the want part of economics, you know, deteriorate. Uh, and, you know, for example, I just bought, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a bucket load of shares in a wheat company. Yes, wheat. And of course, obviously off the back of what is going on in Ukraine, there's going to be a shortage of wheat and you put two and two together. But bread is a fundamental staple of humanity. Like people need a piece of toast in the morning in most countries. Uh, they don't need Netflix. They need a piece of toast. And so with inflation economics, you know, will, for example, people start to turn off subscriptions to things they don't necessarily need? Do people need Foxtel? Well, the answer is no, they don't, but they do need the piece of toast. And I think when it comes to economics, right, you're going to go, well, uh, when it comes to real estate in an inflationary marketplace, people are going to, well, I, I'm going to look after my home. I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to make sure I can pay my bills there. But what do they go and give up? What discretionary items are going to get carved up in, in an inflationary marketplace? And this this is where the rubber meets the, the road, right? And, uh, you know, I wouldn't own uh, discretionary shares in stocks at the moment you know like any company which is discretionary based like it's 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 really built around something that you know people can have when they've got an abundance but it they don't need when they don't you you probably would find that <coughs> there's the cough there's the cough um that that stuff is not good for your portfolio so if you got shares in things which are you know, fundamentally going to break when things cost more, you probably want to ditch them and go into more substantial uh, real need-based stuff like a piece of toast, right? Or that, uh, you know, this this is the economics unfolding. And I think the other economic conversation or trend is, well, how does Bitcoin go in an inflationary marketplace? I don't know the answer to that because Bitcoin has appeared in economics when we have gone through deflation, not inflation. And early signs with inflation occurring, it doesn't seem to mirror what 
is considered a safe haven with inflation, which is gold, right? Gold is an asset that you own when everything else is going wrong. Like that is the the safeguard. It's kind of like the the hedge against things like inflation around the world. Bitcoin doesn't seem to be following that trend, but obviously it's very volatile. It moves up and down every day. But I do wonder what will happen if, for example, the average person in America, the average person in Europe uh, has less buying power because of inflation. Their wage doesn't cover what it what it costs to buy stuff and they've got some crypto. Do they all of a sudden go, you know what? think I should uh, pull out. And of course, crypto is based on supply, uh, supply of new people coming into the funnel. Um, and if there's less new people coming into the funnel, more people leaving the funnel, does that push the price of crypto down? So I think inflation economics is going to be a, re- a real trend. Um, and it's going to be clickbait all throughout the news and this is the stuff I think will meddle with the psychology of property investors is like you might start to see, you know, a crypto, uh, you know, reversal of fortunes. And of course, does that, you go, oh, well, that, you know, the real estate market, you know, could be next. Or you're going to see shit shares that are basically based around the idea of uh, discretionary money you know, basically not reporting the profits that they, you know, have reported in the past. And of course, that's probably going to mean the price of those shares come down. And I've, I've been talking about this for a while. Like there's, there's overpriced stocks in the economy at the moment where there is less customers for that stock than you could possibly imagine, but there's more investors in the stock. Um, <laughs> there's the cough. Uh, I think we are going to see an increasing demand for overseas migration coming to Australia. I think it's probably the next trend that we need to discuss. Um, I think this is going to play out in two ways. And this is just my prediction, right? I think it's going to be less tourists. I think tourism is, uh, you know, coming back around the world, but people are still... I guess, a little bit nervous around, you know, traveling overseas, lockdowns. There's still a bit of uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome when it comes to travel overseas. And so I think here in Australia, we're all going to travel internally. You know, I think you'll find that the trend will be to go to I don't know, Threadbow, uh, as opposed to going to Steamboat in Colorado. You know, that's that's uh, going to, to be the real trend. But I do think tourism will struggle when it comes to, to overseas tourists coming to Australia. Do, do I see boatloads of Chinese tourists coming back to Australia? I don't think so. I think it's over. Um, and so... Uh, once Australian tourists start to to go overseas, um, you know, potentially we could be losing uh, out on tourism, which kind of sucks, right? But for now, things are good because people are going, you know, the amount of people I know that have been to Hamilton Island in the last, I don't know, year is, it blows my mind. Um, and, you know, having been to Hamilton Island, like, you're like, all right, you drive around in the golf buggy, you have some lunch, 
you swim in the pool and, you know, you, you have to wear that weird suit uh, to go swimming with jellyfish. Like, and you're like, wow, like there's so many amazing places around the world, but no one wants to go to them. They'd rather go to Hamilton Island, make sure they have a holiday, right? So <coughs> there's the cough. There's the cough. Uh, I told you. I told you if the cough comes, you might hate the show. But uh, I do think one of the trends we will see is the return of certainly migration into the country, students. We're starting to see early signs of it. Will it get back to the levels we want it to? Um, I think it eventually will. I think Australia is a pretty good option with what is going on around the world, with wars in Europe, with, um, you know, uh, with you know, some of the, the economic challenges in Europe and places like that. I think people will go, you know what, I'm going to go and give this a go. This is the year to do it. This is the year to uh, get a working visa into Australia, a tourism working visa. Um, and I think you will see a lot of, uh, you know, government support to bring migration into the country. I think uh, the next trend, which I absolutely uh, – uh, seeing right now is the idea that today uh, we live in a dislocated world, like it's broken. Um, you know, you have people like myself with shitloads of pieces of property and then you've got other people with no no property whatsoever, right? And so uh, we are seeing, again, the rich getting richer. It's a real trend. But now the rich are owning two properties to actually live in two properties. Like we've never really seen this before play out more so. We've seen people have a holiday home. Now we're seeing a lot of people living between two places. Like they have their place in Sydney and their place down the coast and they're kind of sharing, if you like, the two home marketplace. So I think this is the future, to be honest with you. And I and I talk to a lot of property people at the moment around, particularly developers. I'm like, well, there's a two home market at the moment for the wealthy inside of Australia. Like, why don't you offer a two home solution? Like, why wouldn't that be a thing? Uh, for example, why not? offer um, a new property in the north coast of New South Wales, um, you know, a hotspot like Casuarina or something like that, and also a property, you know, in Brisbane. Like, put the bundle together. And I, I, I think the wealthy will start to buy bundles. This is uh, pure speculation from me, but I think the offer into the future is – a hybrid. It is like uh, for the competitive nature of real estate to unfold. I think um, the biggest players, like the Mervax, the uh, the lend leases of the world, will start to think about this. Well, today people want actually a double home experience. They want to be near the coast, but they also want to be near the city. Uh, do we do we factor in a house and a Peter Tear? And and you know, obviously people can can sort of self-select to do that at the moment, but I think you'll find into the future companies start to offer it as a bundle, like we'll we'll two for one kind of concept, right? And uh, 
you know, we are starting to see that the world is dislocated. The rich are getting richer. Two homes, uh, the poor, they can't even buy one. And if they are buying one, um, you know, they're having to go to some pretty incredibly terrible places to buy them, right? And so uh, we are seeing definitely this trend unfold, which is, which is, you know, it is what it is, right? So <coughs> there's the cough. There's the cough. Uh, yeah, the COVID cough, the spicy cough, it, uh, it doesn't end, does it? Um, so I think for the next few episodes, we're going to have the spicy cough, folks, and hopefully one day I can shake it. But um, yeah, that's COVID. Now, I tell you what, uh, a trend which is here to stay, it's already here now. You know, It's not even coming down the road, right, is living local, a sense of localism, a sense of being proud of being local. And I think what you are seeing is like, suburbs become brands and it's it's crazy right when you think about buying beer you know you buy the byron bay beer like byron bay is so famous it's now got its own beer newstead has got its own beer um bondi has got its own beer like all of a sudden the idea of local and designing things around localism tribalism and it's massive and it does connect to the property market. You know, I'm, I come from Four Pines country for beer, right? Like Four Pines is a manly beer. It's pretty good beer. I think everyone loves Four Pines brewery beer. But it is, you know, it is designed around the suburb of Manly. And, and again, all of, all of these kind of extra subliminal nudges, if you like, and I've talked about nudges in a previous podcast, go back two or three podcasts, you can hear about the idea of nudge theory. But again, like we are now seeing a trend of localism and the more a community comes together around its local identity, we are seeing a correlating result in property values increasing. Um, and yeah, like the idea of brands bring other brands. And so what's so fascinating is like if a local suburb starts to believe in itself and build brands around itself, then all of a sudden major retailer brands want to be connected to that brand. You start to see Mercedes dealerships selling, you know, ridiculously expensive cars being connected to basically beer companies that are local microbreweries. Um, and again, you're probably thinking, well, what, what's all this got to do with the price of fish? It has a big, big um, influence on the price of fish because the price of fish is the price of real estate. And again, the more retail that is sophisticated in your neighborhood, the better off your neighborhood's going to be, the better the attraction magnet of your neighborhood, the better the culture is of your neighborhood. So we're absolutely seeing these trends unfold. And again, one of the ways you could study real estate is based around, you could do the microbrewery tour, like microbreweries are bringing with it a brand, which is then bringing better brands to a neighborhood. And you're starting to see this kind of localized gentrification, which I think is a real trend into the real estate marketplace. I think, um, Probably the, the biggest trend that is here to stay 
is natural foundations. Like people realise now all of a sudden that if they're not in a suburb with great green space or art space or blue space, then they're in the wrong neighbourhood. And again, this is creating this extremist effect where in real estate terms, suburbs or uh, neighbourhoods with great space are now considered so valuable. And from a real estate perspective, we've kind of uh, starting to see that suburbs with this missing piece of social infrastructure are just they're broken spaces and and they they're not working and people don't want to pay a premium for them and so you know from a property investor's perspective i just think you know you can work on three theories if you like when it comes to where to buy real estate green space blue space and art space simple as that and obviously the green space is trees and parklands and uh, again social infrastructure which is blessed like um, if you go to a green suburb you kind of feel better and you you know it's nice to walk the dog and it's nice it's a nice sense of community um, blue space is really taken off right let's face it um, when you think about blue space what is it well it's coastal beachland it's inland waterways it's aquatic environments located close to the sea marine harbors um, and, you know, Sydney's always been about its blue space. Like if you look at the real estate, which is the most prime, the stuff which has gone up the most, the stuff which is now unaffordable to, you know, the mass marketplace, the stuff that everyone wants, it's either on Sydney's coastline beaches, it's either in its inland waterways um, or like its harbours or its rivers or part of some of its marine sanctuaries, right? And, you know, like if you if you go to the northern beaches, like the marine sanctuary of Shelley Beach, Furry Bow, I mean, houses are 25 million bucks, $25 million. So again, <coughs> there's the cough. If we, um, you know, can just take a little bit of this uh, knowledge and we go, well, is this is this a trend which is going to break or is this a trend which is going to grow? I think it's pretty easy to, to comprehend that natural space means a hell of a lot to the marketplace. And as a trend, like blue space, green space, and the final space, which is what I call art space, um, which we might talk about as, as a evolving trend on its own when it comes to where CBDs are. But like at the end of the day, <coughs> excuse me, at the end of the day, this this again, art, coffee shop, where the where the you know, where the artistic things of society are are just going to be so valuable into the future. And I think, you know, if you want some herbs and spices to your real estate investment, those three things if you can get them, um, or one of those three things, if you can get it, is just incredibly powerful. I think um, what we've also realized is real estate is a human sport. It is very much uh, a, a trend now to for real estate 
to mirror human conditions. Like, for example, mental health is a real problem, right? It's a real thing. Uh, If a suburb makes someone feel mentally better because they're connected to better community, better neighbourhood, better green space, better blue space, better art space, uh, they've got more to do on the weekend, they've got social connectivity, then they're just happier, right? And, you know, happier suburbs are just more valuable suburbs to own real estate in. Unhappy suburbs, um, you know, they are probably below the median value of real estate today because they they just create social inequality. And again, you're seeing this amazing trend unfold where, you know, how important is access to a fresh farmer's market on the weekend? All of a sudden it means something, right? People are like, wow, you know, I, I want fresh food. I want grass-fed meat. I want organic vegetables. And again, um, for a lot of, of the society, like the more of this stuff created, the more valuable uh, we are starting to see real estate become. I think the next trend, which I'm absolutely seeing unfold in real estate, which creates a direct threat for anyone who owns real estate, but you know, doesn't value the idea of capital costs. Like I always say this, the biggest problem with real estate is capital costs is upgrading your real estate to be relevant to the marketplace. Like we are seeing some incredible energizing architecture uh, being created across our cities. And, you know, it's a a real key to, uh, you know, like values of neighborhoods, like the better properties being built in neighborhoods, the more impressive those neighborhoods are becoming. And, you know, despite the building challenges, what I'm saying is without question, people are opting uh, if they can afford it to, to go and knock down and rebuild and build a new better home uh, for a better living experience, for a more energizing living experience rather than taking on a property which you know is going to be dysfunctional to live in for a very very long time and so you know we're seeing some huge results of knockdown rebuilds and people making money um, and the secondhand market really looking to pay a premium for anything that is uh, is designed well and I think um, you know we're starting to see some incredible ideas around what that actually looks like. Um, I think we are uh, going to see some further trends when it comes to the idea of renewables. Um, Without question, the ESG movement is a big thing and I've talked about this in the past as well. Like at the end of the day, the ESG movement, if you like, or environmental and and sustainable governance is going to be a real problem for real estate because obviously we have some pretty major targets when it comes to climate change efficiency across the globe. Uh, you know, all the targets to be um, you know in line with 
with uh, you know some of the agreements that have been put together across the globe when it comes to 2050 it means government has to act. And of course, here in Australia, um, we are going to see buildings that now, when they are created, have to be more sustainable. Uh, and of course, there's a price that that has. And of course, the more energy efficient and more sustainable, the more governed something becomes, the less of it generally can be created. And I think probably the biggest trend I'm seeing in real estate is just how hard it is to create supply now. Not only do you have uh, extra costs to, to, to generally build, uh, or if you've got a really old property, the extra costs to upgrade it are just so uh, restrictive when it comes to renovation. And then on top of that, you've got the ESG movement, which basically in itself um, makes town planning and the idea of, of production just very, very difficult. I mean, today uh, to build stuff, you know, you need to have the right you know, wind tunnel, you have to have the right thermal efficiency of the asset, you have to have uh, the right glazing, uh, the right brickwork, like it all comes at a cost. And and again, um, where Australian real estate is going is to seven-star Natter's uh, thermal efficiency, which is great for the environment. Um, but again, it's going to mean less real estate is produced because of the cost to produce it. And and we're starting to see this now where developments just will never get off the ground and development sites are becoming worthless because the cost to deliver the product, it's not so much just the cost to build, it's the, it's the cost to build sustainably. And again, like you know, when I look at my own life, like I like I love this stuff. I love trying to 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 find the best sustainable real estate in the world. I even for every property deal that I put together for a client, like I personally, through business, you know, pay to offset the carbon footprint of that asset because um, you know I just want to do do the right thing by the world, leave the world a better place. Um, whether that's right or wrong or part of your belief system, that's cool. But the reality is to design real estate into the future with the right thermal efficiency comes at a cost and it means that there's just going to be less stock. And again, I like the odds of that as a property investor. I like the fact that more modern stock is actually in far fewer supply than much older stock. And there's an abundant amount of much older stock, but actually the new stock, which is thermally graded really highly, is very, very undersupplied. And the future outlook of that supply at the moment is very, very much uh, not looking good. And I, I really don't see it getting any better anytime soon because of the governance of it, right? And if it was much looser, you would have more stock being created. Uh, if government wasn't taking as much taxes as they do on real estate being created, um, you would see more of it. But right now, you you won't. And I don't think you'll see large volumes of stock being created until a structural shift comes along. Past structural shifts, when it comes to stock production, you know, we used to have a lot of, for example, foreign investors buy real estate here in Australia, but they got chased off because of, of taxes. So they would take 
you know, money out of their economy, currency trade into Australia's economy and build stock. A lot of that stock, no Aussies wanted to live in. It was shit stock, but uh, it would create stock nonetheless. Now we don't have that. Uh, we don't have uh, a lot of our big builders and developers around to deliver stock. I actually think it's almost impossible to deliver an apartment at the moment. Like, um, you know, I am finding that, you know, we are going to be in a massive, massive apartment under supply. And I tell you what, if you miss the housing boom, you may just pick up the apartment boom because um, if we have a couple more years like this with an aging boomer population, geez, by, uh, you know, three, four years from now, you know, when people are downsizing, there's no stock to downsize into. So anything you're holding may just, uh, you know, become highly, highly, highly valuable. I think uh, before coronavirus came along, before the pandemic, what I was seeing was, and what I was telling people, like I was telling people this before the pandemic, that renters and, of course, even owner-occupiers want to live, work, and play in the same place. Like, I uh, lectured at the University of Sydney on my urban behavioural economy, which is the idea that today, to galvanise a community, you need live, work, and play. You need a property where you can live, work, and play. Uh, You can live there. You can work there. And you go into the community and play there. Uh, And if you add on top of that, the idea of sustainability and wellness and the idea of knowledge and uh, smart economics and the idea of movement, you've got the perfect real estate community. You've got the perfect real estate marketplace. Um, That trend, by the way, is still flowing, right? And if we examine what consumers want, They want more space. And what is so fascinating, I think, about real estate at the moment is spatial transformation, is that all of a sudden we are seeing a shortage of real estate because people require more space. Uh, All of a sudden, a four-bedroom home where normally four people would rent together, um, you know, only three people are renting and the extra space is used for Uh, work or play right and again this is this is transforming real estate right this is meaning we need more real estate but uh because the current stockpile is being used differently and uh it's blowing real estate up and again there's some pretty amazing sort of statistics unfolding that all of a sudden you take the two home market where people want two properties now, not one. Uh, the renters want more space. Uh, you know, people aren't sharing at the density levels they once did. Uh, and of course, that you you are now seeing people use home offices and things like that. Man, it is blowing space apart, and everything has been upgraded. Like now, uh, you know. Basically, uh, instead of three people living in a two-bedroom apartment, two people do. 
or instead of, you know, wanting, like everyone is looking for more space and the best real estate which offers a spatial solution is in hot demand. And I think it's probably fair to say that, again, when we look at real estate, it's very two-tiered, like what people want and what real estate is out there is a there's a disconnect. What people can get and what they want, it, there's a disconnect. And, um, you know, over time, we've just noticed that, like, if you can own the stuff which what, what people want, which is in undersupply, then you're going to do much better than owning the stock which people don't necessarily want, which is not in oversupply, right? Um, you know, for example, <clears throat> I'm, I've got a three-bedroom uh, property which uh, I amalgamated. I, I bought a two-bedroom apartment, a one-bedroom apartment. I redesigned the floor plan. Um, I used interior designers to help me. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm about to settle that property, right? Like that three-bedroom property is like 160 square meters, um, elevated, north-facing, beautiful views. Like I know who wants that property, everybody, because there's not that many of them, right? And again, um, you know, particularly with where house prices have got to, the next best thing is is that and and that the, there's there's none of them in the right neighborhood so again if you can afford to play in that space where you can design space um you're off to the races with real estate over the next decade you're going to make a lot of money you're going to get good rents um where people will struggle with real estate is of course if they're they're on a budget um, they've got more volatility, more moving parts. And it, it's not to say you're not going to be successful in real estate. It's just that we are, have seen, and a real trend that we have seen in real estate is the more you spend on better assets, the better off you're going to be from a capital growth proposition. So that may mean you play in the dirt for a bit. I've certainly had to play in the dirt. Um, and uh, yeah. It, it sometimes works out that way. You've just got to wheel and deal a bit to get up the food chain and you can end up in a place where you want to be. Uh, I think the next trend we are absolutely seeing unfold in real estate is the transformation of CBDs. Like central business districts are now morphing. And I love this. I love what is going on. I think owning real estate closer to the city is... Uh, going to be even more valuable than ever before. Um, and I know that is a bit contrarian to, you know, the idea that people are moving down the coast to, to you know, live in a sleepy little village. Um, but I think the opposite is actually going to unfold inside of cities that five years from now, when the pandemic is a bit of an afterthought, um, people are going to go, well, where is the culture? And I think um, CBDs are going to morph from a central business district to a central arts district or a cultural arts district, a CAD. So a CBD is going to be a CAD, a cultural arts district. Um, and, man, it's going to be the, it, like – 
when you think about European cities, like, like they are awesome. Or even like, I don't know, like Asian cities and stuff. Like they're 24 hours. You're like having dinner at 11 o'clock at night. You're having, you know, crazy, um, you know, like food and events and culture and listening to music and bands and like, it's just action, right? And one of the things that Australian CBDs have failed at is being actually fun. Um, they've been great places for people to go to work. Uh, they still are great places for people to work. They will always be places for people to go to work. They are really connected to the fire economy, finance, insurance and real estate, which of course, as we know from this podcast, if you go back to population economics is the massive driver of everything. But uh, interesting enough, like, you know, and I speak to my dad, who's a bit of a historian for me, a um, bit of a dinosaur. Um, you know, you couldn't live in the CBD of Sydney in the 1960s. It wasn't zoned for someone to live there, right? Um, you couldn't actually get a permit to live in a property in the CBD of Sydney. The zoning would not allow it. Um, and you think of the great cities of the world, like people are living in those areas and thriving and, and it's 24 hour and, you know, you go to New York, you know, it's, it's, it's action. And this is all changing. Like this is changing before our eyes. Now I'm not advocating going and buying a property in the middle of the CBD because, you know, there's just, you know, you know, it's, it's a bit volatile, but the point I'm, I'm alluding to is like Australians have traditionally grown up in suburbs around the CBD looking at the city. Um, that's going to continue to be a thing, but the city itself is going to be a centerpiece of culture and arts. And it's going to be, it's going to be more than jobs. It's going to be more than businesses. Uh, you're going to see outdoor dining. You're going to see way more, action when it comes to the arts and culture scene and and look I'm a big fan of arts and culture like I like spending my weekend I'll go to the beach but I also want to go to the museum or to the art exhibition or to see the play or to uh you know see the opera or like there's plenty of people like me and again like cutting yourself off from that dynamic uh I think what we will see and a trend into the future is people going, well, wow, I want to live near the city because, you know, we've got the festivals, we've got the, we've got the, you know, the shows, we've got the, the, the new food and eateries and like the weekend value or the weeknight value of the CBDs will change. And I think we'll get to a point where particularly with e-commerce being quite popular there is less need for businesses today to have more overheads more sh more shops like you you if you're a retailer you only need three or four key outlets in a city today to maintain your brand proposition um once upon a time you needed 30 you know spread out everywhere because the only place that people would have to uh buy your products was come to you now you need five of them 
Uh, but taking that a step further, like as we know, if you go retailing in Hong Kong, like you're not buying uh, something at 11 o'clock in the morning, you're buying at 11 o'clock at night. And I think what we will start to see is the evolution of that in Australia where uh, CBDs are not only places to have a beer and a drink and Skylark and, and be a mongrel, um, you can go for a shopping experience at 11 o'clock at night and have a bar me and buy a pair of Nikes. Like that in itself will revolutionise the hub and hive and energy of these kind of places, which is uh, which is pretty exciting when it comes to what that looks like to me. I think the the next uh, trend, maybe the final trend for today, is definitely generational appeal. Um, this is morphing. This is changing. You know what, uh, baby boomer, like accepts and what Gen Z coming through the system, entering the real estate market wants, completely different uh, set of rules. Like what's important to to Baby Boomer and what is important to Gen Z, two different worlds. And if you study uh, demographics, and there's great demographers out there, the, the McCrindle team do a great job at this kind of stuff, is – you know, Gen Z value, for example, and Gen Z, like they, these are 20 year olds, right? These are babies. What they care, like Greta Thunberg was their hero, right? Like they, they grew up in a different space to you and me. Like I was smoking Benson and Hedges, smashing bourbon and Cokes in a pub, trying to get a girl's telephone number. These guys, like they, they've grown up like with an iPad on their forehead, um, understanding you know, like I don't even think they can watch a movie because they've grown up on short form content. They can only last two minutes. Like looking at a TikTok, try and watch a movie with a Gen Z. They don't even, they're not even interested. Right. So for them, their uh, top, I guess, things that they care about is one environmental impact. So let's go back to what I was talking about before. Like the consumer of tomorrow wants the modern property. Like that, like you may not, you may think it's a shit idea, but guess what? You're probably a Gen X or a baby boomer. Gen uh, Z, um, think about environmental impacts uh, as their first, first thought process when it comes to consumer decision-making. Uh, they, in they think about social impact. So ESG, this is the thing. It's it's This is what they care about, right? They care about, well, if I'm going to buy a property, like um, what is, you know, what does that mean for the greater good, um, which is which is interesting. And then thirdly, they think of well-being. Like uh, are they going to, to be happier living in, in this property or owning this property. It's a, it's a very different space to how you and I probably grew up. If you're listening, if you're a Gen X or a Gen Y, like our big issues were financial. Um, you know, we wanted we wanted to crush the financial world. We wanted to, you know, um, you know, get a good job and hold it down and never change job. Um, so completely different set of rules when it comes to generational appeal. And that's what I love about real estate, right? Is like, 
Um, and I've experienced this. I've bought a property where my generation viewed that suburb as a dump. However, the next generation coming through in this particular situation, Generation Y, which was coming through underneath me, like I consciously knew that that generation, once they were at the point of what they could afford, would see that suburb as a gold mine because of where it was located when it came to um, to to its neighborhood. It was, you know, located near the beach, right? Um it was a beach neighborhood which my generation saw as a shithole. Like you wouldn't go there, you get someone would take your shoes. Like someone would try and smash your face in. Some bloody surfy would try and punch you. Uh, however, it had the right fundamentals from a livability point of view. And then when the next generation came through and, you know, they were just happy hipsters, they liked the happy hipster suburb. Uh, they created the happy hipster suburb. So, Understanding how generations form and their next decision-making in the process is quite interesting to me. Um, I like to sometimes consider that when I buy real estate, I'm either um, considering a generation above me for its future use or below me for its future use. And obviously when it comes to affordability of real estate, Generally, um, if you're on a budget as a property investor, you probably want to consider the generation that is coming through the system. It, you know, depending how old you are, it could be your generation or the generation below you, right? Like, what do they value? How do they engage with um, activity? What's important to them? How would they like to live their life? Will they be wanting the Toto Flush system because they value well-being? in their world. I think they will, right? All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. Uh, We're about to reach the one hour mark, which of course means the show is coming to an end. Was it a success? Was it a failure? I never know. Uh, You can let me know if you think it was good. Uh, Leave a review. All right. I will catch you next time as we crack some more real estate codes. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.